Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. This is The Takeaway. I'm John Hockenberry. Thanks so much for listening. And it's hard to believe it's been a decade on one level, and it seems like a million years ago on another level. Ten years ago, in March of 2003, the U.S. invaded Iraq. My fellow citizens, at this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger. George W. Bush speaking there. The slogans and milestones of the Iraq War are vivid in our memories, but they all carry a sense of having been overwhelmed by events. Terms like shock and awe, remember? The tip of the spear, and a president's sense of mission accomplished. And tonight... I have a special word for Secretary Rumsfeld, for General Franks, and for all the men and women who wear the uniform of the United States. America is grateful for a job well done. President George W. Bush once again there giving the celebrated Mission Accomplished speech. Did you remember that one? Those words never uttered by him, Mission Accomplished, only on a banner that hung on the deck of the USS Abraham Lincoln. Combat operations began in March of 2003 ended in that moment on May 1st, 2003, and as we know now, most of the story of the war in Iraq was yet to come. This week on The Takeaway, those stories of what the millions of Americans and Iraqis who experienced this war took away with them and what they carry for the rest of their lives. In a moment, a story really driven by the sectarian conflicts inflamed by that U.S. US invasion a decade ago. Joining us now is Alon Ben-Mir, an Iraqi-American and professor of Middle East Studies and Conflict Resolution at the NYU Center for Global Affairs. Welcome. Thank you. Thank the, you, John. One of the things that we can absolutely say, and we'll get to this story in just a moment, is that the U.S. did not understand the consequences of inflaming the sectarian tensions within Iraq back a decade ago. Exactly that. I think it is extremely sad that the the president, uh, the secretary of state uh, at the time, certainly Rumsfeld, uh, Cheney, really never understood the implication. In fact, I understand now they did not even distinguish which is between who is Sunni and Shia, and what was, in fact, the, the ratio between these two communities. So just imagine, if you don't know that, what can you really expect to happen once, once you unravel a whole country that's been living under entirely different kind of conditions. And from the first Gulf War, there was an understanding of the Kurds, but not really an understanding of what would become much more important, the Sunni-Shia divide. Absolutely. I mean, the country was already divided. Yeah, the Kurds have already established their own autonomy. Uh, the, the divide between the two, all of it was under the surface, but of course it's been constantly simmering for many, many, many decades. So so what, what we've done is you take the Sunni, the minority that have been holding the top you know, government positions in the industry and elsewhere. And then basically we, we made them a, a minority, despondent, unemployed. And this is, of course, the roots now of the, what's going on and we've been now witnessing for the last 10 years. Continuing now with our discussion of uh, Iraq 10 years on, uh, here's one of our listeners in South Florida. What I take away from the Iraq war is a divorce from my husband who has PTSD and just never really recovered. He is 70% disabled from the VA, but the VA standard of care is just incredibly low, and the help that he needs 
he just never really got. Thanks to Jennifer there in South Florida. You can reach us at 877-8MY-TAKE or post a comment at thetakeaway.org. Continuing now our discussion with Alon Ben-Meir, professor of Middle Eastern Studies and Conflict Resolution at the NYU Center for Global Affairs. Um, first of all, you know, you don't necessarily need to react to that story. It speaks for itself. But uh, you really have to be sympathetic to those young uh, Iraqi translators, interpreters who in a sense, we're trying to negotiate both sides of the sectarian conflict, and for so many, including Muhammad, uh, impossible to do. Uh, it's been, of course, extremely, extremely difficult. I mean, we have to look at it also in the context of, there's no question, um, uh, the um, the president of Iraq, you know, um, has been one of the most ruthless leaders that we've known, you know, historically speaking. But when you decide to go to war, to try to replace the leadership. Saddam Hussein obviously needed to be removed. One has to calculate what is going to be consequences. What are, what are we going to do? Do we know exactly what's going to happen? Certainly, initially, it was a successful uh, effort and was ended very quickly. But then, do we, did we have a plan how to proceed? And when you send a Brenner, who is, you know, became almost like the uh, emperor of Iraq, Mr. Bremer, the head of the Coalition Provisional Authority. That is correct, yeah. Yeah. And then dismantling the army, dismantling the internal security. How do you expect to rebuild all of that, to rebuild the country when you destroy the entire infrastructure? So the story of of Roy is one of so many. It's an extraordinary tragic story, and it has to be looked in the context of the tragedy that the whole Iraqi people have experienced. That is something that we cannot repair. We have not been able to repair to this very moment. The theory was that the world would be better off without Saddam Hussein and that the um, the sense of conflict in the region would be reduced with a so-called stable Iraq. What's your assessment of either of those two propositions? I think, I think the region is much worse today than it was 10 years ago, without any question. Look what happened to the Middle East today. You have consistent instability, certainly in Iraq, People are dying by the, by the dozen, by the hundred sometimes to this very moment. You have um, <clears throat> the situation with Iran. We basically handed Iraq on a golden platter to Iran, and we strengthened Iran, and now today we have to deal with Iran. The, the situation in Iraq is spilling over to Syria, and we don't know what's going to be the outcome in Syria. Our allies in the region, the Saudis, the, the Gulf state, are terrified of the prospect of what's going to happen. We instigated basically a war between the Shiite and the Sunni, and we haven't be, begin even to see the beginning of that war. So we have created a turmoil, a regional turmoil, that is going to continue, and we have to live with it for years to come. So let's talk about that for a moment. So you would say that the violence in Syria that's now two years old, the unrest in Syria is much less an outgrowth of the so-called Arab Spring that the media likes to talk about and much more an outgrowth of the strengthening of Iran because of the uh, 2003 invasion of Iraq and this instigation of a Shia-Sunni sectarian uh, conflict that more or less continues to this day. Well, you know, what has started in Syria is a peaceful movement, probably an extension of what we're calling now the Arab Spring. But that changed immediately, almost immediately. We have to remember that Iran has had and continued to have tremendous influence in Syria, and it does not want to lose Syria and almost under any circumstances. So Syria now has become the battleground 
for between the Sunni and Shiite. On the one hand, we have Turkey, Egypt to some extent, and certainly Saudi Arabia, who are trying to get to to be able to control and to to manage the outcome of Syria. And then you have Iran. And that is going to be an ongoing conflict between Shiite and Sunni. And we do not know what is going to happen in Syria because we, the United States, haven't really, we don't have even a plan of action as to what's going to happen. How can we affect uh, the outcome? But more than anything else, you know, the United States has lost tremendous amount of prestige because of Iraq. And now we're losing even more prestige and influence because we have been showing somewhat, some almost ineptitude as to how to deal with, with the horrifying civil war that's raging now in Syria. Just to turn it slightly around, uh, many would have said in 2003 that what needs to happen is the U.S. get out of the region, that its influence be removed from the region, and that uh, the U.S. Uh, you know, projecting its power into the Middle East is, is a problem, not an asset. What would you say about that? I, I disagree. I think the United States remains the foremost global power. We have interests all over the world. We cannot possibly abandon the Middle East. We have many, many close allies in the Arab world. Close ally, we are close allies with Israel. So it is not because, of course, certainly what happened is an extraordinary tra- tragedy. But we cannot afford to abandon the Middle East. What we need to do is reassess our foreign policy, reassess what are our interests and the interests of our allies in the Middle East, and develop a strategy that is going to serve both our interests and the the interests of these countries. And that is what is missing. Then before we go, um, because of the Iraq invasion in 2003, the U.S. is less likely to be able to do that in the future, yes or no? Well, the tendency would be less likely, but we cannot afford to abandon to neglect such a critically important region that uh, that it, its continuing instability could have major repercussion on the United States as well as, as our allies in, in that part of the world. Elon Ben-Mir is a professor of Middle East Studies and Conflict Resolution at the NYU Center for Global Affairs. Thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. And of course, we want you in this conversation. What do we carry as Americans from the war in Iraq? What do you carry? Do we have a first draft of history yet? One of our friends on Facebook says that this nation still carries a burden from the decision to invade. Tracy says, a decade after the war, the military-industrial complex is completely in charge but totally out of hand. I learned why we are so hated in this world and became ashamed to be represented by such a filthy agenda. Thanks to Tracy, but Mark adds, I'm not so sure we've learned anything. We're still cynical, yet credulous when being fed information that informs our cynicism. Join this conversation at 877-8MY-TAKE.